starting in verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. The mandate to Timothy from Paul in these pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, is to guard the gospel, guard the deposit that has been entrusted to us, that's been given to us, not something we make up, not something we add to, not something we pontificate with our own ideas about, but we're to guard this gospel. We've been looking at that and talking about that. And last week we began to talk about ways that churches get in trouble when it comes to guarding that deposit. We got through point one of four points, four things that I think this text talks about in ways that we begin to get off track and get derailed as churches. This morning, I want to go back to that. I want to look at the other three that we didn't look at. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and were not here last week, to go to the webpage and, and listen to last week's message. Listen to what we said about the fact that poor, bad leadership is point number one. One of the ways that churches get off track and get derailed in regards to guarding the deposit is that they, they, they don't have good leadership. That really all problems that arise in churches are due to some leadership lack. Something that leaders didn't do correctly. And that happens in every fellowship because Every fellowship has flawed leaders in one sense. They're all flawed. We're n- no one's perfect. We make decisions. We do things. We choose to do things. Sometimes those get us more in trouble than others. Sometimes we get a derailment that is much more severe than just a minor one. But leadership is incredibly important. It, it is incredibly important in the church. Um, one of the things that I think if we're doing the, the right kind of local church ministry, I think it will it will grow. Local churches grow most times. There's an expansion of the churches. And as, as the gospel goes forward and fruit is born, people come to see. They enter into the church. And one of the logical things for people who begin to gather in a locality is they want to become 
more attached. And so you, you, you grow the grassroots, if you will, of the church. It, it grows. And it has people at all different spiritual uh, levels. Uh, some who've just come to faith and others who have been Christians for a long time. And, and so it, it is not unusual for churches to have people at all different maturity levels. And when you have people at all different maturity levels, you have issues that arise within churches. And, and that's just the nature of it. That's the nature of, I think, the, the local church. But the place at which we must be much more careful and, and, and raise the bar to a higher level is not at the entry level into the church, but at the level of leadership. And that's exactly what Timothy and Titus do. That's exactly the admonitions here of, of, of qualifications of leadership. One of the things that Timothy was to do was to appoint elders, or Titus was to do, and Timothy as well, to, to get the leadership as it should be, and were given requirements that we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of those things as we go along. But this morning, the, what I'm doing is, as I began last week, is laying out kind of the grid, the outline over these books of First, Second Timothy, and Titus. We're going to look at it in four different ways. We're going to look at it about poor leadership that we already talked about. Um, when we talked about that, just to, to refresh your memory, we, we uh, looked at the, at the text where it says that Timothy was to remain at Ephesus. Um, he, he was to, to lead the church. He was to give supervision of the church here. And, and part of the reason the church had gotten in trouble was that some of the leaders had gotten off track and began to teach some things that, that were not profitable. The, the leadership had, had gotten out of whack. Timothy was to come and to remain, to, to persevere here and to deal with this issue. And, and leadership needs to be persevering. Leadership needs to be persevering for the sake of the body, for the sake of the sheep. They need to be there for the long haul and be willing to work through things and deal with things and not run away from things. And we talked about that and how bad leaders uh, don't do that. Bad leaders are hirelings and not shepherds. They, they really don't have the good of the church as they should. And when things get difficult, oftentimes they don't hang in there. Um, in some ways they run when they need to stay and just deal with things. So leadership has to be persevering and care about the sheep. We also talked about they have to be people who are able to teach in the sense of they have to understand the issues. Leadership gets in trouble when it, when it makes uh, circumference things central. Uh, we, we have to be careful. Leadership has to be wise. They have to be broad enough and understanding enough and understand the scriptures enough to know when an issue is a central issue, it's a key issue, it must be dealt with, and, and when it's a circumference issue, when it's not worth dying for. There are some things worth, worth fighting in the right sense of the word for, and there are some things that are not worth that. And they have a wisdom about that. We, we made and said this statement, which I, I hope you took with you. It's not original with me, but it's, it's, it's a very important point, I think, as we're, as we're looking at church life, that, that if you're looking at a spectrum in one sense of legalism and liberalism, churches that are, that are very legalistic and churches that have gotten very liberal, 
um, this is this is the definition that one says: legalism is taking a preference or a method or a program and making it central. And the illustration we use, for instance, real and it's usually couched by this: real Christians. If you're really a Christian, or if you're really a mature Christian, if you're really a spiritual Christian, you use this certain translation of the Bible, or whatever you want to add to that. They, they usually preference by real Christians. And, and uh, they take a method, a program, and they make it central. That is a preference. And liberalism, on the other hand, takes something that is fundamental to the faith, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and they treat it as it's negotiable. There are some things that are not negotiable, and leaders know what those things are. They know it because they're wise according to Scripture. They're broad enough and wise enough. One of the things, cautions we said, that's why I think the admonition in Scripture is don't, don't bring a young believer into leadership too quickly. They're not broad enough. They don't know the parameters. They don't know the issues. They don't know the scriptures. They aren't, they aren't wise to sort out, in one sense, circumference and central. That's just one aspect of that, one reason that that's dangerous. And uh, the final thing is that leaders are able to speak in a clear United message. They, they, they understand what the issues are and they deal and they speak to those issues. Um, and they do it with courage, with humility, but with courage. They're, they're fundamentally, you, you'll get in trouble if, if you raise up leaders who are more people pleasers than they are God pleasers. In other words, if they're wired as a people pleaser, and that's, that's how they function. That, they're going to have a tough time sometimes leading. Now, we don't, we don't run over people. We don't steamroll people. Leaders, other places, we'll talk about that, kind of the characteristics that make up a leader. He isn't, he isn't divisive in the sense he doesn't fight in, in, for the sake of fighting. He isn't, he isn't disruptive in that sense and have a personality like that. But at the same time, he, he has the ability to not be spineless. You can't have you can't have spineless leaders who don't stand for anything. They know they know when to stay and when to not stand, but but they are willing to stand when they know it's a fundamental issue. And we need leaders like that. It's interesting to me that that if you look at all of these books of the Bible, um, all of these letters were for the most part dealing with problems. When Paul wrote to the to the Galatians, he was dealing with a problem that had arisen. When he was writing to the Corinthians, he was dealing with a problem. When he wrote to, to the church at Colossae, he was, he was dealing with an issue that had arisen. When he wrote um, Timothy, he was dealing with an issue that had happened at Ephesus here now. That's just the nature. The nature of things. You have to have leaders to guide and to guard and to shepherd and to watch over because... Sheep left to themselves with no leaders. Uh, within that mix of maturity, if there's not somebody leading that, it, it, gets, it gets into trouble. And even with leaders, it can get into trouble. But the leaders need to deal with that trouble. And that's what Paul sent Timothy to do here at Ephesus in this text. So we need to be careful. 
We need to be careful. We need to be be certain that we're looking at leadership qualities and qualifications and thinking about those and those that we raise into leadership fit those qualifications, which we'll talk about later. But now we're going to turn to the the last three and then we're going to come to the table this morning. The, The next one is churches get derailed by bad teaching. Uh, remember in Acts chapter 20, I don't want to read it all, we read an extended portion of Acts 20, but this is the context now of what Timothy has been sent back to. Just listen to this. Paul, when he left Ephesus the first time, he left, the, planted the church, established the church, left the church. But before he left those elders there at Ephesus, which was previous to now, Timothy going back to this church a few years later, he said this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Even before he'd left the church, Paul warned them about the fact that, that you're going to face these kinds of things. People are going to arise who have bad teaching and they're going to try to, to let this teaching influence the church. And so beware. Beware. Now that problem has arisen and Timothy is sent to go back to it and to deal with it. The interesting thing about this issue, which we're not exactly sure in Timothy what the issue was totally. It isn't totally clear what he was asking Timothy to deal with. They have some idea of it. But, but the one thing they are certain is that it wasn't something that came with without, from without. It, it, it rose up within. Within the body, something got stirred up. And it, it found a foothold. And in this particular context, it found a foothold within some young women. That's where it rested itself. That's where it found itself. That's where it manifested itself in the church at Ephesus. Now, we know that it, it isn't just young women that can have it manifest there, but can it, it, it gets into a group someplace. Usually when bad teaching comes into a fellowship, it comes through a window of of a group, some group, some place, it, it, it begins to get a foothold. It, it may be some people who went to a conference and bring it back or, or something today. You don't have to go to a conference. You just can go to the Internet and there's all kinds of dangerous things there. There's very good things there, but there's some dangerous things there. And it, it finds a foothold and it found a foothold here. And so Timothy's dealing with it. What I want to do now, this isn't original with me, but there, there are four areas really that, that uh, this kind of thing manifests itself as. When, when something enters in, some bad teaching comes in, it, it, it really fits into four categories, at least probably more. But these four are pretty all-encompassing in a sense. First of all, oftentimes it will come in as some new thing. In fact, here, if you look... In this particular um, text, in verse 3, it says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Different doctrine. What that means is that they, they were teaching something that did not line up with the apostolic teaching. It was different. It was new. And, and that's the way some things kind of come to the church sometimes. This new thing, this new thing I've discovered. I'll never forget when I was a young pastor. Um, I was a young youth pastor. I'd, I'd probably not been in the ministry but maybe a year. And as I told you, that was only five years after I'd come to Christ. So 
So I was very young, and as I said last week, that's that's a bit dangerous. It's a bit dangerous to 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 go from from blindness, spiritual blindness, completely at age 18 to about age 23, being put in a place of leadership, um, in the sense of pastoral leadership. Um, and I remember going to a conference. I remember going to a conference in Denver, Colorado. I remember being in that conference. I remember, I remember the person who spoke at that conference. He was a, uh, he was a gentleman, probably the age I am now. Uh, I'll never forget. He had, he had uh, reading. First time I'd really ever seen anybody with reading glasses, and they were cut off at the top, you know, so you could look over the top. And I, I just remember him standing at that podium, teaching and. And by the grace of God, what he was teaching, there was something in me that said, this isn't right. This is not right. This is not right. And one of the things that he talked about was, was how God had given him this, this, this concept. What he was teaching is what, what godliness looks like. How God works out sanctification in our lives that progressive growth in grace. And he said, I, I was at a restaurant. I, I remember the day. I remember the person I was with. And I remember on a napkin writing this out. And what was on that napkin was now in a book that thick, which I had before me, which I'd opened up. It, it oftentimes, be careful. Be careful when that kind of thing happens. I was I was so young in the faith, I didn't even know I should be careful, but... By the grace of God, there was something inside of me that said, this is not right. This is not right. It was the idea that I found this thing and now God has raised me up to teach the church. And there were, there were hundreds of people who had gone to this kind of event. I'm, I'm grateful by the grace of God when I got home, I put that notebook away and I never opened it. I never looked at it again. It was, a, it was a good thing for me in one sense. It was a hard thing, but it, but it was a good thing. And what I come to now, I would not have said this then. I, I wouldn't have had this kind of language. I wouldn't have understood it in this way. I just knew there was something wrong about this. But what, what was happening is he was teaching, he was teaching godliness devoid of the gospel. Devoid of the means by which godliness is accomplished in our lives. And obviously he wasn't teaching it. It was, it was a sick kind of thing. And as it got perpetuated in places, it creates all kinds of havoc. Be careful. If you think you've come up with something new and fresh, be very careful. There's nothing new. When I, when I come and I'm preaching and I come on something that I think I see in the Scripture and I can't find anybody else who's, who has alluded to that anywhere I've learned long ago to just give it some time. Give it some time. Maybe that I haven't come to the person, I haven't read the book that somebody's seen it before, but, but, but let me promise you, somebody, someplace, if I've seen it, they've already seen it. We, we don't have that kind of thing. Something new, teaching comes in, new, it's different. Be careful. The second thing is... Oftentimes, teaching that arises like this has a mystical sense about it. It's, it's kind of experience-driven. 
Um, they lead with experience. Now, experience is a part of Christianity, but it never should be out in front. When somebody's talking about their experience and it's devoid of a lot of Scripture and a lot about who God is, I'm very careful about that. Maybe to a fault, to some degree. Maybe to a fault. Um, but mystical kinds of things. Look at Look at what it says here in the text. It says, not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and to endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Um, we need to be careful in this regard. Experience-driven books, I, I just really have trouble with, and again, maybe to a fault. There are probably some good stuff out there that I've said no to, but I think we have to be really, really careful. Really careful. In fact, really be careful if it shows up in Walmart in the Christian section. Really be careful. Really be careful in a Christian bookstore. I've said this before that one of the most dangerous places to send a new Christian is into a Christian bookstore because oftentimes they buy the book by the cover, by the title. Uh, they, they, they look something that catches their eye. We must be careful. We, mystical experience. Experience is a part of Christianity, but, but anyone who's talking about their experience, and that's, that's the primary reason that the book is being written, that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing, I think, unless it is really, really full of who God is. You, you, you need to come away from those books thinking more about God than you do the experience of that person, or it can be dangerous. The third thing is, if there's an intellectual superiority about this new teaching, that somehow it, it, it puffs up and doesn't lead to humility. One of the things over the years that I've, I've learned is that someone who really has a hold of the truth, and in fact, if they are declaring the truth, the truth, if it's really understood, always comes with humility. And if you get somebody who you just sense, and that's what I felt like back there in that conference that I told you I just put the book away. There, there was, on top of the fact that this didn't seem right, the presentation didn't seem right either. There was just something in the way it was being given that had to do with, uh, not, not in a humble way. It, it was dangerous. Humility. Look at what the scripture says. Look at what happened here. You, you get a, a picture of this if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. Look at here, this, this kind of explanation of what was happening here at Ephesus. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about the words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Be careful. Be careful. Truth doesn't produce this kinds of thing. And it, it doesn't lead to to haughtiness in the person who has found it. It leads to humility. A person who you want to, to put yourself under in the far of teaching and listening to, be careful. 
even even humility can be can be uh, a slippery slope. I mean, even even the appearance of humility underneath that humility can be uh, a pride that supports it. So make sure that that you're careful about observing the person. Is there a humility about their lives? And then finally, confusion. It leads to speculation. It leads to just all kinds of confusing kinds of things. So if it's new, if it's, if it's experience-driven, if it's got an intellectual haughtiness about it, if it's leading to confusion in the body, ah, be careful. Be careful if, if those are the driving things. Because the Scripture says, here's, what, here's the point. He says, in order to devote themselves to myths and English genealogists promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Here's the issue of the gospel. The stewardship, the thing that is entrusted to us is the gospel to protect and to guard. And it, it has to do with faith, by faith. The stewardship from God is the gospel. The gospel has to be central. And, and there's much teaching out there in the church world today that, that you, you can't find the gospel. In fact, in my daytimer, I, uh, a while back, I've not done this, but I, I wrote down, someday I need to write an article just with this title, Whatever Happened to the Gospel? You, you look at people who teach and the things, maybe some things you're following. Did, does the gospel, is it, is it in that? Is it there? The gospel is central. I'm grateful, as I said, those young as I was, and as as green as I was, and 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 so not very broad, not growing up in the church. There was something in me that God, by His grace, just at times I just sensed the hesitation, which I think was His Spirit, a hesitation. Even though I couldn't have totally told you why, I couldn't have put it in those terms back then. God protected me. And I think then protected the church and protected even here as I came. But we need to be careful in those things. The, the, the third thing, and these two will go much quicker. Church gets derailed by bad leadership. It gets derailed by bad teaching. But it also gets derailed by distorted mission. Distorted mission. I'll talk more about this at another time. But the, the scripture here says in verse 5 that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What I think that statement is saying is that, that mission has to do with two things. It has to do with, with the gospel and with love. And when you get the gospel right and you get love right and they're together, it's a good thing. But the danger is, if you get the gospel right and love wrong, as one said, it's not a good place to be. And if you get love right and the gospel wrong, it's not a safe place to be. One causes it not to be a good place. And the second causes it not to be a safe place. And the key is getting the two of those things together in the right tandem because they need to go together and they should go together. And I believe where the gospel is, is talked about as being central and it is, it is modeled as being central, that you will get love 
from that. Love will flow out of the gospel, getting the gospel right. But if you don't, if you have one without the other, something's wrong. And and either it's a good place, it's not a good place, or it's not a safe place. Now, where this is all comes from, and again, these are part of my years of being in ministry and just observing the church. There's there's things that rise up. There's there's catchwords that kind of come to the surface. There's there's different emphasis that come to the church world as you look at it, as you walk through it. And today, the big catchword, if you're going to take a catchword of the church world today, it would be the word missional. In other words, the church needs to be missional. Part of that's a reaction to the church not not going out but, but pulling in and not going to the world. I understand there's some, some right things in that word missional. We need to be missional. We need to be intentional. There's some good things about that. But the problem with that word missional sometimes is my fear is that missional has the danger, if we're not careful, of getting love right and leaving the gospel behind. Now, if missional combines the two together... If we in missional mean that we get the gospel and the love and right tandem and go out and be intentional about that to the world, then that's the right definition of missional. But sometimes we just talk about being missional. And there are people who can talk about all about being missional and about being intentional, and you never hear them talk much about the gospel. You never hear them talk about that. But they talk about love. Um, and, and love is a good thing. But it also can be a dangerous thing if it gets defined wrongly. It, it can be a dangerous thing. If, if, our, if our only motivation is love, let me tell you, that is going to lead to all kinds of problems. If we don't hold on to the truth of the gospel and all we do is go out and love people, in our definition of love, um, that leads to all kinds of nasty stuff long term. I have, a, I have a plaque on my desk. It's a quote by John Piper, which I look at often. I put it there intentionally. And this is, this is, I think, the biblical definition of love. I think he has it right. Love is doing whatever you need to do to help people see and savor the glory of God in Christ forever and ever. He would believe in love, but love not detached from the gospel. We need to get the gospel right. We need to get gospel-centric. And, and love, I believe, when we get that right, will, in one sense, happen. Um, doesn't mean we don't need to talk about it. We need to, to, to move out. But if you just talk about love, being loving people, and you try to produce love by just talking about love, it'll take you places it shouldn't take you. But if you talk about the gospel, and talk about what Christ did and get people to look at what this table means again and again and again. Not just once a month as we have communion, but once a week and more importantly, several times a day. If you get them to look at the gospel and they start to see all that God did in the face of his son, that moves us. That's the thing that should move us to love. And then we do it right. Then we get it right when the gospel stays central. Um, the fourth thing, and I, I just close with this because it has to do with, with love. I think, I think you, you, must, um, you must go to the fourth thing, ways that they get off track. One of the ways that the church gets off track, the fourth way, is that we get off track when we don't live godly lives. 
which my definition of a godly life is is love that is flowing out of gospel centrality that we love because of the centrality of the gospel and and the definition of a godly life is love love biblical love and what that looks like and the church will get off track if if they if they try to produce godliness another way. Uh, we don't have time to, to expand all of that this morning, but I'll leave that with you. But those are the four areas we're going to look at. We're going to look at churches getting derailed by bad leadership, by bad doctrine, by bad mission, and by bad means of producing godliness. All four of those things get the church off track. And so over the next weeks, we want to, we want to look at each of those specifically, more specifically, and ask God to help us to not let that happen, to not, to not let the gospel get derailed here. Because as churches get derailed, so does the gospel. So does our mandate to, to uh, guard the gospel. Well, this morning, I think it's an appropriate place for us to stop and to come to this table which we're going to do. We want to come and look at the face of Christ. Look at the gospel. Because part of, as we said before, in a couple of messages right at the beginning, you will not guard what this table represents if you don't cherish what this table represents. If this morning you don't look at this table and are not filled with what we sang about. Depth of mercy. Can it be that God would would open my eyes and help me to see when I was on my hellbound race intercepting me by what Christ has done. You have to cherish this or none of the other things will happen. If you don't cherish Christ, you won't protect gospel. You won't guard the gospel. So we come this morning to cherish all that this table represents to us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us this, what we will do now. And you'd admonish us to, to do it in remembrance you, of your Son. Lord, help us this morning to be strengthened by this. Help us to to see anew and afresh how precious what this table represents to us is to us. Precious enough to care about leadership and and, uh, doctrine and mission and godliness. That it's worth wrestling with those things and how to do those things well for the sake of of cherishing and guarding what you've given us. So Lord, help us now. Strengthen us by grace from this table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.